You're listening to The Real Wealth Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. Are interest rates going to go up? And if so, how would that affect the housing market? I'm Kathy Fetke, and welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Our guest today, Chaley Ridge, is an expert in these things. She is president and CEO of Ridge Lending Group and has been an established real estate investor for over 20 years holding as many as 42 investment properties across the United States and is helping other investors do the same. So Chaley, it's so great to have you back here on The Real Wealth Show. Welcome. Thank you, Kathy. I love being here. Um, It's my pleasure. Hopefully, I'll be able to impart some valuable insight today. I'm sure you will. And you're so cute because you're like, oh, is this video today? Because I just got back from the gym. (laughs) Well... It is what it is. And I said, you know, you know, I don't know. Somehow over the last year, it became a video. And I also just finished yoga. So here we are. Yeah. All right. <laughs> That's the beauty of working from home. Uh, so let's talk about interest rates. There, you know, there's a lot of experts saying that they probably will creep up, but not too much. But eventually they might. I mean, there's a, a lot of unknowns here. But what are your thoughts on it? So a couple things. Um, actually, there's some great news that we just got last week, but I'll come to that at the end. That'll be my hook for everybody. Oh, um, good hook. So we've actually been seeing since somewhere around February of this year, rates start to kind of increase, creep up a little bit, uh, largely initially due to inflationary concerns, right? We were seeing some of that. And then specific for non-owner occupied, right, our investors and second home occupancy, There was an announcement back in March, March 10th, I think, to be specific. Um, Fannie and Freddie released that, this gets a little technical, so I'm going to try and abbreviate, that they were going to be increasing their risk layer for the non-owner occupied properties. They have a senior preferred stock agreement with the Treasury, which, by the way, is purchasing or has been purchasing mortgage-backed securities for the last 18 months at the tune of $40 billion billion dollars per week okay so the treasury uh has quite a bit of weight that they can throw around and for those two 40 billion dollars these days i mean come on (laughs) i just write a check a week mind you a week wow so with all of that and and thank god for it right the treasury has actually really been helping throughout the pandemic etc to keep the interest rates as low as possible so that the affordability is better for homeowners potential home buyers etc refi cash out Yada yada. So um, they released this announcement. The Treasury wants to limit some exposure and some risk. So they are maxing out the purchase per aggregator. That means that when I, let's say I've got $10 million worth of mortgage backed securities or loans that I'm going to resell on the secondary market. We have dozens of aggregators that we will sell these bundles of loans to on a per aggregator per sale basis the maximum of that bundle of loans for non-owner occupied and second home cannot exceed 7%, okay? So that news kind of created a flurry of of activity on the secondary markets and it increased rates for non-owner and second home, okay? So from February to now, we've really seen some significant increase rates. Rates increased, I'd say by by about a full percentage point. If we were at three and a half back in February, we've been running at about four and a half percent for the last what is that? Five months? Yeah, five-ish months. Now, here's that here's that hit, or hook, rather. This is good news. Um, anybody that's been paying attention to interest rates remembers last year the FHFA had added an adverse 
marketing fee for all refinances. Do you remember hearing about that? It was a half a point fee yes. for refinances back in mm -hmm. June, I think it was. Well, the Biden administration just canceled that. That's gone. It's effective August 1st. So we're expecting to see any time. And I think they just announced this Friday, Thursday or Friday last week. So that removal of the adverse marketing fee for refinances should improve rates. Now, by how much? It'll be a TBD. But I would expect, you know, again, if you're at four and a half percent on a cash out refinance, somewhere in August or early later this month, maybe we'll be at four, four and a quarter ish mm -hmm. to see that. So some good news. We might see some some additional refi boom pick back up uh, over the course of the next few months. Could you just summarize that for somebody who's new to the concept? What does this mean for the real estate investor? This means that interest rates, at least for refinance, are going to be reducing, I think, by a substantial click, maybe a quarter, three-eighths of a percentage point in the next coming weeks. So we will see some improvement for refinance transactions on the 30-year fixed mortgage rate. I think that in general for purchases, um, as rates are concerned, I think that as herd immunity continues to, to become more prevalent and, um, you know, servicing chains and, and things start to open back up, supply chains, et cetera, I think that rates are going to come back down a little bit as well on purchases. And I think that for the next couple of years, while we're getting through this recovery, I do think rates are going to kind of remain on this low end. They are up a little bit now, but let's put that into perspective. We're still in sub 5% interest rates on investment properties for 30-year fixed mortgages. So in summation, rates are low. I think they're going to get a little bit lower over the next weeks, months, depending on the transaction type. And I think they're going to stay low for the next couple of years. So if somebody did get a higher rate recently, when can they refi into a lower Excellent. rate? Excellent. <laughs> um, typically speaking, you want to see, it, it really depends on how long they're going to keep the property. The math to figure out your break even is figure out the monthly payment difference between the rate that you're paying now and what the refinance rate would be. Take that monthly payment difference and divide it by the cost of the loan. Let's say it's $100 a month, okay? Divide that by 5,000 in closing costs, just for example, that's 50 months recapture, right? So if you know you're gonna keep the property for at least 50 months, it probably makes sense to go ahead and, and refinance now, keeping in mind too that you'll have some tax advantage for any points that you might pay, so that probably should work into the equation, but that's the, that's the math that you should use. You have to figure out how long you're gonna keep the property, and then you can decide if it makes sense or not based on the savings and costs. Yeah, I, I've been getting phone calls from lenders who would like to refi and offer really low rates. And, you know, we came really close to doing one of them until I took a di deeper dive into the fees and then the reset of the 30 year fixed. So it, it basically brought us back to paying a lot more of the of um, interest. And whereas the loan I was currently in, we were we were wait. Yeah, we were paying. Yeah, we were paying more of the principal, uh, so it actually ended up being a horrible deal for us. Even though it looked good, it was a lower rate, too high a fees, and then it kind of restarts that loan where you're paying interest, more and interest, and debt. Yeah. So, it, is how does that work with a thirty-year fixed? I mean, that that's how it works, right? In the in the first five, ten years, you're paying primarily interest. Correct. Yeah, the first ten, even plus. 90 plus percent of what your payment is going to is going to be for interest. It's not until the back end of that loan that you start really plunking down on the principal. 
Um, you know, this might be a good segue into a fun statistic, and, and depending on the circumstances, right? It's very circumstantial, and it depends on, on the property, what their plans are, et cetera, and that can be a fluid thing. But, you know, when we talk about 30-year fixed mortgages, especially for investors, I think it would be important to mention to your listeners that the life cycle, the average lifespan, rather, of a 30-year fixed mortgage for investment property is probably six years, five or six years. The percentage of investors that start on day one with a 30-year fixed mortgage and keep that loan for 360 months is less than 1%. So depending on the circumstances, I would just be aware of, of some of those details too when making a decision. There's a psychology about that 30-year fixed that I think makes people warm and fuzzy and, and helps them sleep better at night. I get it, I have some of it myself, but the reality is, is that um, pay attention to the intent of what that investment is, is meant to be. It's your primary residence, probably a different conversation, but in any case, that would be my response. Yeah, that I mean, that is a conversation Rich and I have all the time. He likes the comfort of that 30-year fix. He just doesn't want to regret it in the future if interest rates are much higher and you know and then we have to refi that time he just he, he'll pay more for that for that comfort yeah. so what is it that you recommend i think you just said it. sure so first of all i would say for investors we're going to just kind of focus on the investor um i would stay away from a shorter amortization loan always so let me get into that first i get a lot of questions about well what about what are the 15-year interest rates they're going to be lower than a 30-year fixed rate however there's no need even if you want to accelerate the payoff early, there's no need to look at a shorter term amortization because you can do exactly the same thing on a 30-year amortization, even though the interest rate is higher, by simply calculating that payment difference between the lower 15-year rate and the higher 30-year rate, right? Let's just say it's 300 bucks a month, whatever the number is, take that monthly payment difference and apply it with your 30-year fixed payment every month. You'll cross the finish line in about 15.4 years, I think is the, the average calculation. But most importantly, and the reason I bring this up, is that the 30-year amortized loan is going to maximize or optimize the individual's qualification in their DTI, right? Mm -hmm. That 15-year payment is going to be significantly higher, and in, in turn, it's going to affect a debt-to-income ratio DTI. So there's no reason to look at a 15-year. I definitely advise my clients always take the 30-year, whether you accelerate the payoff quicker or not is entirely up to you. You never pay the higher interest if you're doing that because you pay it off so quickly. So that would be the first thing. Um, the other thing I would say is, usually speaking, I like to see a recapture. When we're talking about refinancing, I think that's the question. I like to see the recap rate somewhere in you know that three to five year window of, of break even cost versus savings, again, depending on what they're, if they know what their long-term plans are, if they know that they're going to sell this thing in a year or two years, then, you know, probably doesn't make sense to refinance. But if they just refinanced and they know they're going to have it in five years from now, I'd say look at the numbers at least and, and do the math. Yeah, that, that's great. Lots, so many questions when it comes to loans. All right. So where do you see rates going with your crystal ball? I know you get asked that all the time, but yeah. let's say by the end of this year, by the end of next year and five years from now? <laughs> um, again, I think that we're gonna start come fall, early fall, mid fall, I think that we'll start to see rates come down a little bit from where they are now. We already talked about the adverse refi fee is gonna be going away in August. So that just in and of itself is gonna create some reduced interest rates. Um, 
So I, I think we can we can feel pretty comfortable and confident that rates are still going to be in the you know mid threes, high threes, mid fours range uh, at least for this year. Beyond that, you know, I really hate predicting even past a week. There's so many different variables that can, can create. It's really um, hard. Yeah, totally. Um, but here's my overall consensus. You know, if you think about the amount of debt that, that as a company or as a country we have amassed over the last 18 months, the servicing of that debt in and of itself is going to make it very, very difficult for the feds to increase rates. That's just not going to happen. If you think about trillions of dollars and the payment on that debt, a blip in increase in interest rates would, would make millions of dollars in interest. So rates are going to stay low during recovery is, is what I'm going to say to that, that question. Yeah, it sure seems that way. Yeah. All right. Uh, another question, of course, we have is the forbearance, and that is uh, ending in September, correct? And, and do you see that increasing inventory at that time? Um, you know, I, I did a, a webinar not too long ago, and, and this topic came up. Um, initially, I thought, yeah, maybe. I mean, just an unfortunate casualty of the pandemic and, and the forbearance in particular we will see some foreclosures. However, I don't think it's going to be as much as people originally maybe thought. I don't think that the Biden administration is going to allow that. Um, I think that there'll be provisions that will will try to remove as much of that as possible. So I don't. I would not expect a huge flurry of extra inventory on the market. I do think that as lumber prices, whoever's following that, they just took a huge nosedive recently. Uh, quick numbers. Last year, I want to say Marchish something um the cost per square board i think is how it's measured was 333 dollars um up until a couple of weeks ago i think it was 1600 yeah. I mean, right it, it was insane it, was it, it took a, a big dip those supply chains again are opening up so for those reasons and, and several others i think we'll start to see a little bit more inventory um and i'm, I'm hoping that uh, some of these factors will help um lighten the the frenzy right the marketplace so that it's a little bit more competitive or excuse me a little less competitive um and prices start to kind of just i mean we always want to see an upward trajectory but i'm sure you'll agree kathy with the, the way in which they're going right now is kind of a steep climb it's not going to be sustainable long term i think the market will correct though mm -hmm. okay all right and uh Let's see what else. Eviction moratorium, too. I mean, I know that you as a lender focus mainly on investor properties, and I would think this is something that you're looking at. You know, you don't want to see a bunch of landlords who have borrowed money from you, from you or, um, or from the banks you work with suddenly not have income. I mean, are you concerned about that? Um, I feel like a lot, of, a lot of what has come across my desk anyway has been relatively... Um, um, well handled. So I think that, that landlords have been forced to get pretty creative. We, we haven't seen too much of that. I think, you know, when things were really at their hairiest, um, they were finding ways to, you know, equal compromises, maybe pay a portion of the rents, um, give them instructions on, on where to find, you know, uh, unemployment in their areas. I mean, job listings, right? They were really getting super creative in how to help their tenants make sure that they could pay their, their rent. So uh, I think that most people have done a pretty decent job of avoiding that sort of thing. Okay. 
What about cash out refis? Are you seeing demand for that? And if so, are you concerned or is it a good thing? No, I, I love the cash out refinance. And, and we've been talking about rates. Rates are still incredibly low. Um, and most people are aware, but for those that are not, a cash out refinance of an investment property is uh, non-taxable, right? Borrowed funds are non-taxable. So taking some of the equity with the appreciation that we're seeing right now and utilizing it to deploy for, for other purchases, I love the idea. Um, yes, 100% go cash out refi. And we think that rates are going to get a little bit better in the coming weeks too. So by all means, I think cash out refi, is, refi as a, a general rule is going to start to get some, some more steam. Yeah. How much more expensive is it but from just a regular refi to a cash out? Uh, an interest rate, probably about three-eighths of a point-ish. Okay. So not too much more to be able to, like you said, deploy those funds and, yeah. and purchase more properties. Now, once you sell that property, it's at that time that the government will want their money, right? But unless you do a 1031. So hopefully that 1031 stays in play. Right. It, it, even, even with the way that the Biden administration is looking at it, it, it uh, seems to affect just higher cost properties versus the ones that our members are looking at. So I haven't been too worried about it, but time will tell. And it takes a long time to change the tax law. It's not easy. Right. Yeah. Okay. What about adjustable rate mortgages? I know, you know, we kind of mentioned that, but do you see a comeback there? Um, I think that I, I like an adjustable rate mortgage, to be honest with you. And, and for reasons that we, we talked about earlier, there's a psychology to the 30-year fix versus the adjustable rate. But statistics tell us, again, that the that lifespan of a 30-year fix, especially for the non-owner occupied, is in that five or six range window. Right now, today, as we're talking, um, the secondary markets for interest rates are on what we call an inverted yield. That means, in simple terms, that a 30-year fixed mortgage has a lower interest rate than an adjustable rate, right? It's lopsided, it's inverted. Under normal circumstances, right the adjustable the only reason to take an adjustable is if the interest rate is lower mm -hmm. right usually by about a, a percentage point is what we we tend to see so right now adjust rate mortgages no there's there's no incentive to do that um i do believe that we will see that shift at some point probably once they really figure out what to do with the conservatorship of fannie freddie now again this kind of gets into the weeds so i'll, I'll abbreviate but 0809 crash dodd frank all of those those elements um is when we saw that inverted yield, adjustable rate mortgages, interest rates went up, 30-year fixed low, don't even look at the adjustable. Once we start to really look at how to release Fannie Freddie from its conservatorship that they were put in back in, in 2010, I think it was, um, I think that we'll start to see those adjustable rate mortgages make a play again in the open market to where it does make sense to consider if the interest rates are that, you know, three quarters to a percentage point plus lower than a 30-year fixed counterpart. Now, I had read, and I think we did a story on it, that uh, the, there was less funding available through Fannie and Freddie, or the requirements were getting stricter for investment properties. Is that correct? Not that I'm aware of. Um, okay, as a function good. of COVID, you mean? <laughs> not, not really. Um, no, just that there was, uh, uh, well, I think it was that banks had a maximum number of investment investor loans they could do something like that so there's probably something uh, maybe if you've heard there's there, there are things called overlays mm -hmm. um, overlay is just an added um, requirement or risk to what the already um, 
predisposed guideline, Fannie Freddie guideline says. So there's something called a seller's guide uh, that Fannie Freddie published. This is a 1,400-page document that within crazy detail tells us exactly what the loan has to meet in order for it to be insurable by the United States government, right? So Ridge, because we're so investor-friendly, we go straight by the seller's guide. A lot of banks out there are going to impose these overlays that add into, for layers of risk, a maximum number that they'll finance for one individual. Maybe it's four. The rule is 10. Fannie Freddie will allow up to 10 finance properties per qualified individual. So for a husband and wife, for example, one of the things that we coach or counsel is that if they can, we want to qualify them separately from each other, independent. So now we have 10 golden tickets, right? We call them golden tickets, highest leverage, lowest interest rate, um, so that they can maximize those spots. And I think that's one of the things value add wise that, that Ridge does for its clients is, is it's looking for education and teaching them how to optimize qualifications and, and what to look for. So 10 is, is what Fannie Freddie says. We don't stop at 10. We've got a whole diverse menu of loan products for investors that go well beyond, but that's what the, the actual guideline says. And we don't impose those overlays. Okay. Oh, that's, that's fascinating. All right. So somebody does, let's say a family maxes their 10, the wife and the husband have now uh, maxed out. They have 10 each or, or it's a single person who's uh, reached their 10 limit. What are their options today? And are, are they expensive? <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's several, um, two to be specific. There's something called non-QM. Uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are defined as QM, qualified mortgages. So everything outside of that box is now non-QM. Non-QM in and of itself is very diverse, and it's not just for investors, it's for, for anybody, really, that just doesn't fit into that box. Uh, and there's no limit to the number of finance properties an individual can have using non-QM terms. Um, so just specific to this piece, non-QM has a whole variety of things for investors, but this one, just as it means that you have maxed out your Fannie Freddie 10, um, guidelines are pretty much the same, right? Qualifying guidelines, if it's full doc, you know, income, debt to income ratio, assets, credit, very similar. Leverage is pretty similar, 75, 80% leverage, 30 year fixed. The difference is gonna be rate. The costs are gonna be the same. It's really gonna boil down to rate. And right now it's about a point difference between Fannie Freddie and let's say a non-QM. So if you're at four and a quarter on a Fannie Freddie loan, you can expect the non-QM to be somewhere around five and a quarter. Oh, Otherwise okay. it's the same. All right, which is really helpful. I know you've helped a lot of our members who are in the middle of a 1031 and they forgot about this detail. You know, they have to get a, a, another loan on the replacement property and maybe they've already maxed out with Fannie and Freddie. So they come to you and you, you fix that problem. You get them the loans they need. Yes. Yep. It's Absolutely. been, yeah. And, and that can be stressful. So plan ahead if you're doing uh -huh. a 1031, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, any other tips for investors when it comes to leverage? And um, you know, I would say plan ahead is a great uh, segue to close to close out the conversation. Planning ahead, make sure you get pre-qualified in advance of getting out there and starting to make offers. You want to get your financial ducks in a row. Um, uh, again, Ridge is is really going to focus on educating you and teaching you, not from you know real in-depth levels, but baseline stuff so that you understand the mechanics, right? What's going on in the black box of underwriting guidelines, how it applies to you and certainly your goals and taking all of that and, and understanding um, what moves not to make, right? Because you don't know what you don't know. 
and, and having some of that baseline information I think is crucial to your overall success. So that would be, um, I, I wanna leave people with that and, and we really focus a lot of our attention on that education. And that's why I like your platform too, Kathy, because you guys are educators and it's just so important. You know, somebody getting into real estate investing just on its own without even the financing part added in, they're drinking through a fire hose, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of the analogy that I give. Um, there's a lot of moving parts. So just kind of taking some time to educate yourself and aligning yourself with educators is just so, so important. So I'm, I'm grateful for you and that platform and, and Ridge follow suit. Absolutely. I, I see too often people who have a toe in the water, uh, maybe a real estate agent that just works very, very part time and they think they know everything and they, they may be talking about something that was true 10 years ago. So we really want to get the education from somebody who's active, who's very, very involved with what's going on today and has been doing it a long time. Right. So and that would be you for right. sure. And, and, you know, it's a family business, right? You're you're. Dad did it before you, so you grew up in it. That's right. Second generation. Dad Dad is retired now in, in southern Florida, Santa Rosa Beach, the Panhandle, and, and living life. Yeah, I took and, over. And you're still in Oregon? Uh, yes, our, our corporate offices are in Oregon. But for those that maybe, maybe don't know, we're licensed nationwide. Yes, that's right. You can help yeah. people get loans uh, definitely in all the markets that Real Wealth Network has been uh, involved in. Okay, Jaylee, always a pleasure to speak with you. It's so great to connect. It almost feels like we're in the same room. Well, thank you so much and have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. You can find out more about the various lenders that we work with and resources under our resources tab, under our invest tab at realwealthshow.com. And there you'll get referrals to people with the kind of experience that you saw with Chaley today and also property teams in some of the strongest, fastest growing markets uh, who acquire the investment properties, get them to rent ready condition or build them brand new and provide ongoing property management for our members who want to own rental property out of state. Again, you can get more information at realwealthshow.com. I'm Kathy Petke, and thanks so much for joining me. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to realwealthshow.com.